listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's get into this today. Um, I want to give you five because... As I was just meditating on this uh, and going through it, uh, I began to see this. And I'm going to kind of show you some proofs here because I was scrolling through Twitter months back. And um, there was a famous Christian singer. He was the lead singer of a Christian band that's very popular, well-known. And um, you may have even listened to them, Hawk Nelson very famous, um, make great music. Um, Hawk Nelson. Well, he said that, uh, he's kind of falling away or has fallen away from the faith. Um, his name's Jonathan Steingard, uh, from Hawk Nelson. He talked about the fact that he's kind of fallen away from the faith or he doesn't hold his same Christian faith anymore. I don't know if he would consider himself to be an agnostic or an atheist or whatever it might be. But uh, I believe he's a preacher's kid. I know that uh, obviously he was a Christian. He was in church. I read a little bit of his story, uh, talked about the fact that he had questions and approached his pastor and other spiritual leaders with questions. And apparently they couldn't answer his questions. And so as a result, by the way, they were easy questions to answer. I don't know why. They couldn't answer them. I actually looked through the things he was struggling with. And, um, you know, I could have answered them easily. I mean, they're not, they're not difficult questions. It's the standard stuff people ask, you know, that have issues with how the world's going or, you know, why is there suffering? And if God's so good, you know what, you know, and all this stuff, stuff about the Bible. And so, um, he, he decided because the questions could not be answered that he was just going to leave the faith. It was just too much of a discrepancy for him. He's out of here. He, he's done with Christianity because his, his questions couldn't be answered. And, um, and so one of the things that I want to show you today, we're going to actually start with this uh, because it is, it is the foundation for uh, your Christianity. But it breaks my heart to see people that Number one, I guess not getting the the help (laughs) that they need from their spiritual leaders. I mean, that pastor is going to have to stand before God one day and give an account as to why this young man left the faith and he couldn't answer what he was supposed to be able to answer for for Jonathan. And so uh, the Bible instructs us in 1 Peter chapter 3 to always be ready to give an answer Uh, to those who have questions regarding the hope that lies within us. So forget being a Christian as a preacher, as a minister, you're held to a higher standard. And he should have been able to answer uh, Jonathan's questions uh, sufficiently and and helped him to to stay in the faith. Anyway, he couldn't. And so Jonathan Steingard decided, I'm out of here. Hey, Robin. And so we're going to deal with this. I want to give you five habits that will keep you from backsliding without question. Now, obviously, if I say that, it's because I believe as a Christian 
and as a minister, that it's possible for people to lose their salvation. I believe it's possible for people to truly backslide and to lose their salvation. Um, There are many who don't believe that. There are some that are reformed. Uh, They'll just either believe that you never were truly saved in the first place. Then you got the other side of the fence, the hyper grace movement that believe that no matter how you live after you get saved, you can't lose your salvation. I don't believe either of those two things. I believe you can be saved and then lose or walk away from the covenant that you have with Christ. Why do I say that? The Bible teaches, Jesus taught in John chapter 15. In fact, let's go there. Let's start with John chapter 15 because this is a good place to start. You know, there's no, no point teaching on how not to backslide if it's impossible to backslide. <laughs> no point in dealing with this subject if it can't happen. So let's talk about it. Is it possible for somebody to be connected to Christ at one time and then disconnected from Christ? Is it possible in scripture? Well, let's look at what Jesus himself taught in John chapter 15. John 15 and verse four, he said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine. So Jesus identifies himself in this uh, analogy. He is the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now look at verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. Now let's go back up to the top. Verse one, listen to it. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Now catch this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, or that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And notice as you go down through the passage, what happens to the branches that God takes away? He throws them in a pile to be burned. So explain to me, if you cannot backslide, if you cannot lose your salvation, who are these people that were once connected to the vine that refused to bear fruit? God came, cut them off the vine, threw them into a pile to be burned. If it's impossible to lose your salvation or to backslide, explain who these people are then. Because let me just say this, it's impossible to be in Christ and not be a Christian. Paul uses that phrase in Christ, in him, through all of the epistles to speak of those who are the elect, those that are saved. You're never in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You're saved. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. There's no sinner that's in Christ. None. Being in Christ is being saved. So 
for all those that may watch this later, all those that may listen to the podcast, maybe somehow somebody that's reformed, a Calvinist is listening to this. Who are these people Jesus is speaking about? (laughs) Who are these people? They were once connected to him. He even says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. So they're already in him. Every branch in me. If you're in him, you're saved. But then you stop producing fruit and live in unrepentant sin. Guess what happens? After a while, you're disconnected from the vine and thrown into a pile to be burned. So understand, we do believe that you can be in Christ and get to a place where you are no longer in Christ. And that's where we don't want you to be, obviously. And the Bible teaches, it is Bible prophecy, that in the last days, there would be a great falling away. People would leave the faith. The hearts of many would grow cold. Your your heart can't grow cold if it wasn't once hot. If it was always cold, it can't grow cold. You see? And so a sinner who's never been saved, their heart's already cold. They're dead in trespasses and in sins. So your heart can't grow cold if you've never been warm. And Paul taught, Paul taught this. He said, uh, in the last days, there'd be a great falling away. We know it to be the great apostasy of the last days. The hearts of many will grow cold, the love of many. So what happens? People who once were in the faith will leave the faith. And that's Bible prophecy. So we do believe that you can lose your salvation. So let's, let's break this down then. What are five ways, and I'm going to give you five habits, uh, five habits that will keep you from backsliding. Are you ready for number one? Number one, put it in the comment section. Understand that the Bible is God's word, inspired and inerrant. That's number one, and it's foundational. This is what got Jonathan Steingard to leave the faith. I'm going to read you his quote. And show you how dangerous it is. Number one, understand that the Bible, the 66 books of the Protestant Bible, are the inspired, inerrant word of God. Listen to Jonathan's quote. He said, when I began to believe that the Bible was simply a book written by people as flawed and imperfect as I am, that was when my belief in God truly began to unravel. Listen to that quote. Notice what he said. Look at this. When I began to believe that the Bible was simply a book written by people as flawed and imperfect as I am, that's when my belief in God began to un- truly began to unravel. What was he believing? that the Bible wasn't truly God's word. It's just a historical book or a holy book written by men that were flawed and imperfect. And so I want you to catch this. His belief that God's word was not God's word, that it was just a book written by flawed, imperfect men. He said, that's the very point that my belief in God began to unravel. Notice that. You know why? That is the point that people's faith in God begins to unravel. That's the point. 
Why? Because God is his word. God is his word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. God is not separated from his word. He is his word. The moment you start to believe this is not God's word, first of all, that's a deception to make you disbelieve what God said about this book. 2 Timothy 3.16, the apologist's passage for the word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, listen, I've read it before many times on the broadcast. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture All scripture, not just the gospels, not just the red letters, not just the New Testament. All scripture is breathed out by God. He's the one who inspired it all. Then if we go over quickly to 2 Peter 1, I read this recently too. Let me read it again. 2 Peter 1 verses 16 through 21. Listen to this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until your day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, now here's what's important. Catch it, catch it. No prophecy, well, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. There it is. It's all breathed out by God. Number two, it never came from the will of man. Nobody sat down and said, I'm going to write a book of the Bible today. Nobody decided to write God's word. God inspired them. Look at this. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nobody sat down and decided, I'm going to write a holy book today. That did not happen. The Holy Spirit of God, out of the mouth of God, the breath of God, inspired the men and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture's inerrant. All scripture's inspired. It is all sufficient. Scripture is sufficient. Let me just tell you three things that if you don't believe them as a Christian, you're in trouble, in deep trouble. Number one, if you don't believe the Bible's inspired, you're in trouble. If you don't believe the Bible's inerrant, you're in trouble. If you don't believe the Bible is sufficient, you're in trouble. 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches us it's sufficient. All sufficient. Scripture is all sufficient. Amen. It's all sufficient. Listen to what he said again. And it's profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you know what that means? It means that by the word of God, you can be totally and utterly complete. Scripture is sufficient to do that, to complete men and women of God, to equip them for works of righteousness. You do not need anything else, hear me, 
to be complete in him. The Bible says so. It says so right here. That the man of God may be complete. Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is inerrant. Scripture is inspired. Those three things have to be believed by any strong Christian. If you don't believe that, as Jonathan Steingard said, your faith begins to unravel. Your faith begins to unravel. See, because as we move on to number two, you can't stand in number two that I'm going to give you today if you don't have number one in place. Can't do it. So catch this. That's why, to me, it's so wrong for people to start holding up other books and say, oh, see, we got to get these. You know, Christianity's been missing out on this revelation. You need to catch this. You need, you know, the book of Enoch. The book of one Enoch was, you know, it was, it was hidden for so many years. Should have been in the Bible. Wasn't in the Bible. That's you saying you don't believe God can preserve his word. You don't believe God. So you're telling me for all those years, the church that never had the book of Enoch didn't have the full word of God. See, that's demonic. It's saying that God's word's not complete. It's saying that God can't preserve his word. It's, it's saying that, that the enemy can do things to keep back the word of God. And he cannot. He cannot. God preserves his word. Oh, you need to see these apocryphal books. They're powerful. No, they're not. They're not even inspired. And some of them contain heresies. Heresies. To put anything else on the level of God's word is demonic. It's demonic. You don't need, I did a broad, I don't know if I did a broadcast. I've made notes. I could do a broadcast. Everybody freaking out about how awesome the book of Enoch is. There are heresies in the book of Enoch. Anything that's in there, if it's a heresy, you can't look at it as God's word or even profitable for the body of Christ. You don't sit down and read something and say, well, you can, even though it's not God's word, you can really learn something good from this book. Not if it's got heresy in it that contradicts the word of God. People aren't smart. There's a lot of stuff going on that's not intelligent. And then people are, there's people that won't even read the Bible, but because they saw a YouTube video about why first Enoch, one Enoch was the hidden, one of the hidden books of the Bible that's been uncovered after centuries of being gone. They'll read, they'll go blast through the book of Enoch. They've never even read the Bible all the way through. This shows you where people are at. They won't read the inspired word of God, but because it's a fad, their flesh wants to get into the book of Enoch. (laughs) Unbelievable. And Jonathan Steingard said, when I started to think and realize the Bible was a book written by men as imperfect as I am, as broken as I am, that's when my belief in God started to unravel. Of course, because if you don't believe this is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God, you've got problems. It's the first thing the devil tried to say in the garden. Did God really say? Tries to get you to doubt the word of God. It's his mode of operation. It's his mode of operation. Don't doubt God's word. We need it. He would not have given it to us if we didn't need it. Can I tell you something? This Bible as much as it is faithful to the manuscripts that were written, is just as much God as the individual sitting on the throne. That'll freak people out. This scripture, as much as it's faithful to the original 
that, that was written. I'm not talking about the Passion Translation where people took the Message Bible. I'm not talking about the Living Bible where people took all kinds of liberties to manipulate the Word of God to say whatever they wanted it to say. I'm talking about the scripture, as much as it lines up with what was the, the original apostles wrote, is as much God as the individual sitting on the throne. You know why? God is his word. That's why you can quote this, speak this, and cancer cells have to die. That's why dead people have to come back to life. You know why? Because this word is alive, it's powerful. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This is God-breathed. It's not a book. It's a living organism. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And so I want you to catch it. You must believe God's word is his word. That's number one. That'll help you and keep you from backsliding. Number two. See, now you can't do number two if you haven't done number one. Number two is... Make it your standard. Make the Bible your standard of living. You don't compromise what you've been commanded to do in Scripture. You don't compromise what you've been commanded to do in the Scripture. So there's people, you start believing like that about the Bible... Well, it's not really, it's not really God's word. It's just another wonderful holy book. (laughs) And so I want you to see this with me today. People that don't make the word of God their standard of living You know, there's pastors right now that are world famous, nationwide famous at at the minimum, who are starting to say that the Bible is no longer the standard. I actually saw a pastor say, you can't just say, well, you know, this is true because the Bible says, because he said, well, you know, in this generation, everybody doesn't believe that the Bible is God's word like they did in previous generations. So saying the Bible says doesn't really mean anything to them. Who cares? Who cares? The Bible doesn't need you to add st- stats and facts. And you don't have to add anything to, to the mighty word of God. If people don't believe, they don't believe. If they do, they do. But I'm not required to try to make the Bible more believable to you. What do you think? Some stat from some government official or some state official or some corporation official makes the word of God more true? Do you think, let me ask you a question. Do you honestly think that if I go back to the book of Proverbs, where the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Do you honestly think that it matters if I point out now, well, you know, now doctors are realizing that's true because we have a lot of stress-related illnesses. So they know that if you... Uh, don't have joy and if you don't have happiness that uh, you know uh, it's going to cause problems in your body you're going to have illnesses that are related to stress high blood pressure and all these do you think that makes the bible more true 
because a doctor recognized that there are stress-related illnesses, it doesn't make the Bible more true. If no doctor ever discovered any of that stuff, the Bible still says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Well, brother, you got to add stats and facts and figures and get people to understand that, see, these things are true inside. I don't care if somebody has discovered these things or not. I don't care. The Bible is the highest authority, not some long life specialist. The Bible is the highest authority. The Bible. Hallelujah. I can't figure out if Michael Figueroa is still hung up on the fact that people can lose their salvation putting up Old Testament Psalms that have nothing to do with salvation. Salvation wasn't even available in the book of Psalms. <laughs> it's hard, you're hard pressed to understand <laughs> how Jesus said what he said. Let me ask you, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> that were members of the church. And then believers, Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead. Hallelujah. You can lose your salvation. It's in the Bible. I'm not saying that once you lose it, you can never come back again. There is repentance. There is repentance, but you can walk away from the covenant. You can walk away from the covenant. And so catch this, if you don't make the Bible your standard for living, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. There's people that take the Bible as a suggestion instead of a command. Bible's not, it's not a book of suggestions, it's a book of instructions. Imagine if you put on Google Maps to go somewhere and just took the instructions that came from Google Maps as suggestions. In 500 feet, turn right. Well, you know, I don't think we really have to turn right. You know, I don't, I, you know, I don't really feel that at this juncture in the trip in my life, I need to be turning right. That's what people do with the Bible. They pick and choose what they want to do and what they want to obey and what they want to follow. They'll do certain things, but they won't do it all. Doesn't work like that. Jesus said in John 14, 21, those who have my commands and obey them are the ones that truly love me. And because they love me, they'll be loved by my Father, and I will love them, and I'll manifest myself to them. Amen. That's exactly it. Roberto puts, points it out in Hebrews. Without holiness, no man can see the Lord. So that, that, that just blows the hyper-grace message out of the water. See, you, you, know, you know what really hurts people? Is that they misunderstand the difference between righteousness and holiness. And I'm going to break it down for those of you watching so you understand. Righteousness is a position that you stand in. Holiness are the, acts, the actions that you take as an individual. Let me say that again. Righteousness is a position you stand in. Holiness are, is actions you take of obedience as a Christian. Break it down one more time. Righteousness, and I'm going to show you why they're different. Righteousness is a position you stand in. It's right standing with God. You cannot, now watch this, before you've obtained righteousness, you cannot obtain it by holy actions. Oh man, that'll help somebody. Let me show you something. I could be a sinner 
and do my best to obey the commands of scripture without receiving Christ as my savior. But I don't care how much I do, I can not commit adultery. I can not uh, bear false witness. I cannot lie. I cannot uh, murder. I can do all those things the Bible commands, but if I don't enter into a salvation covenant with Christ, I'll still go to hell. Do you know there'll be people that go to hell that have never committed a murder, that have never stolen anything, that have never lied? There'll be people that'll go to hell. But see, you don't go to hell, catch this now, you don't go to hell because of the specific sins you've committed. You go to hell because you are born in trespasses and in sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're born in that state. So you could come to, you know, to a place, everybody's got a conscience. Everyone's got a conscience. You can say, well, you know, I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never, I've never, uh, you know, you can go through the 10 commandments. I've never done anything. I've never committed adultery. Doesn't matter. You're not going to hell because of the sins you committed. You're going to hell because you're born in trespasses and sins. You're, you're shaping in iniquity, right? So the, the reason you're going to hell is because you've rejected the work of Christ on the cross. That's why people go to hell. That's why people go to hell. So understand this. The Bible says that we obtain our righteous standing by grace through faith. In what? The action of Christ on the cross. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. So catch this. That is how you obtain right standing with God. Not through righteous actions, not through works, lest any man should boast. If you did it yourself, you could boast that you earned your own salvation with your actions. And the Bible says no one can do that. Bible's plain on that. No one can do that. What do you think the Protestant Reformation was all about? Why do you think the reformers broke away from the Catholic Church? Because the Catholic Church is based upon works. It's based upon works. There are things you can do. There are actions you can take. You can light all the candles you want. You can do all the penance you want. You can confess to your priest all you want. But until you have a right relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith, you're not in right standing with God. Not in right standing with God. However, after you get right standing with God, God then has expectations for his people to obey his word and to live and take holy actions. To take holy actions. It's what the book of James is about. Faith without works is dead being alone. I'll show you my faith by my works. Paul said, should we continue in sin now because we've experienced this wonderful grace? God forbid. Read Romans chapter six. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. So after you get saved, you still got to choose to live free from sin. And that's what the word of God helps you to do. What did David say? Psalm 119 verse, uh, what was it, 11? 
I've hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against God. One of the keys for not sinning against God is putting this word in your heart daily. It's the fuel for holy living. If you don't know what the standard is, you can't meet the standard. If you don't know what the goal is, can't hit the goal. If you don't see the target, can't shoot at the target. And so if you don't have the word of God in your life daily, you're in trouble. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. The word is fuel for holiness. Oh, hallelujah. The word is fuel for holiness. The word is fuel for holiness. The word is fuel for holiness. See? And so that's number two. You've got to, number one, understand the Bible is God's inerrant inspired word. Number two, make it your standard. Number three. No, that was still number two, Kelly. Make it your standard. Put it in your heart daily. But number three is this. Make prayer a daily appointment. That's number three. Make prayer a daily appointment. Put it in the comments, every person watching. Number three, make prayer a daily appointment. As Bishop Oyedepo taught and preached once, I heard him preach it. He said, if you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If you don't pray, you will sin. Jesus said it as well. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 41. Matthew 26, verse 41. If you haven't shared this, this would be a great point to share because these last three that I'm going to give you, really people do not get them. They do not understand them. it's, It's what kills more Christians than anything else. These last three things I'm going to show you. Number one, you've got to understand that God's word's inspired and inerrant. Number two, you've got to make it your standard. Number three, make prayer a daily appointment. Pray in the spirit, pray in your known language. Pray in the spirit, pray in your known language. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples because they kept sleeping when they should have been praying. He said, uh, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the point here? Because the flesh is weak, you've got to pray so that your flesh doesn't take over. That's what Jesus is teaching. Even though your spirit wants to obey God, your flesh fights against it. Paul also taught that in Galatians 5.17. The flesh is at war with the spirit. Paul taught that to the Galatians. Your flesh is at war with your spirit. They don't agree and they don't want the same thing. They don't want to do the same thing. So what was Jesus' answer to this? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit's willing The flesh is weak. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. I want everybody to write that in the comments today. If I'm not prayerful, I'll be sinful. If I'm not prayerful, I will be sinful. Jesus taught it. 
You will fall into temptation if you don't pray. You will. There's not a question. Well, I'm stronger than that, brother. I've been in church long enough. No, I don't care. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how long you've been reading the Bible. I don't care how long you've been, uh, you know, a person of faith. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If you don't pray, you will live in sin. You know why? Because prayer's the thing that curbs the desires of the flesh. Let me tell you how it did it for Jesus. Notice what Jesus' prayer was in the garden. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. You think Jesus' flesh wanted to die on the cross? No. He was in such distress in the garden that the Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was in distress. His flesh didn't want to go to the cross. And if he'd obeyed his flesh, we'd all be doomed. We'd all be doomed. His flesh didn't want to obey God, but his spirit did. And notice the thing that set Jesus on the course to obey, prayer. What set Jesus on the course to obey his father? Prayer, prayer. He prayed until his flesh shut up. He prayed until his flesh submitted to the mighty plan of God. He didn't want to obey. His flesh was resisting the cross. What took him to the cross? Prayer. Prayer broke his flesh. Prayer told his flesh to shut up. And prayer allowed his spirit to take control. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, but he overcame every temptation. Every single one. Prayer sets you on the course to obey. It's a great way to say it. Put it in the comments. Prayer sets me on the course to obey God. If you don't have a daily appointment of prayer, you're missing out on what's going to put you in position to obey God that day. Has to be done daily. Has to be done daily. You know how I know? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, I put my flesh under on a daily basis. Daily. If you've never underlined or highlighted that scripture in your Bible, today would be the day. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said this, but I discipline my body. Keep it under control. You know why? Your body wants to get out of control. Your body wants to get out of control. And it will if you let it. And so what do you do? Every day, he put his body in control. Controlled it by his spirit. Spirit man told his flesh what to do. Jesus was doing the same in the garden. I'm going to pray until my flesh submits and I can obey my father's command to go to the cross. Hallelujah. Prayer puts me in position to obey God daily. Every day. Every day. You won't backslide. Can't remember who it was. If it was Smith Wigglesworth or if it was Lester Sumrall. My father would know if he's watching. He could put it in the comments but said, if you'll pray in the Holy Ghost every day till you feel the Spirit of God come upon you, you'll never backslide. 
You'll never backslide. Pray in the Holy Ghost till you feel the anointing come upon your life. You'll never backslide. That's number three. Number one, you've got to understand the word of God is inspired and inerrant. The Bible is God's word. Make it the standard. Number two, make prayer a daily appointment. Number three. Number four, here's a hard one for a lot of people. Release wrong relationships. Release wrong relationships. Just release them. Don't do it over two, five-year periods. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to try it. No, there are some relationships that you just have to let them go. They are detrimental to you following Jesus. That's what being holy is. It means to be set apart. Apart from what? Apart from every action that's displeasing to God. And if you had previous relationships that kept you in actions that are displeasing to God, you've got to let them go quickly. Cut them off. Because what happens, and I've, listen, this is not just me knowing this from the scripture. It's being me in 20 years of ministry, having seen it over and over and over again. People get saved. They come to church. They get saved out of a life of sin. They go right back to hanging with the same people they hung with before they got saved. And those people pull them back in to living lives of sin. They go back to getting drunk on the weekends. They go back to sleeping around. They go back to doing all the stuff they used to do. They go back to the clubs. They go back to drugs. They go, and it's the same stuff that happens. Explain to me. Jenny asks a great question. What about family members? Where is the line on that? Here's the question, because that happens to a lot of people. What is the line with family members? You never stop loving your family. <laughs> you never stop praying for your family. It's different if it's extended family or if it's immediate family. If it's your husband, if it's your wife, you've got to stay in a loving relationship. You have got to keep, you can't cut your husband off. You can't cut your wife off. You got to pray for that person. You have to pray for that person. You have to stay showing the love of God to that person. Okay, let's move on from there. What if it's his extended family? What if it's your mom or your dad? What if it's sisters and brothers? What if it's cousins? What if it's uncles and aunts? You have to limit the input unsaved people have in your life. Jesus even said it. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Your mother and brother's here to see you. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Broke it down. The one who do my, the one, the ones who do my works. Huh. So you understand you have to set proper boundaries. If you don't, you'll be in trouble. Your father and mother, especially after you're married, the Bible says that a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Don't allow in-laws to destroy your marriage and your marriage relationship, your home. It happens all the time. Too much input, too much intrusiveness. Privacy is not kept. You, you, gotta, you have to set boundaries. If you don't, you'll be run by anybody that's got an opinion about your life. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your home. 
Well, you know, I used to let my kids go over there and play all the time, but they're always drinking, they're always getting drunk, they're always getting high, they're always smoking, always watching bad stuff. Limit what your kids can do. <laughs> we don't let our kids just go anywhere, anybody's house, and hang out all day long. We guard them. I guard my peace. I guard my wife's peace. I, gu- I guard my children's peace. I'm not just doing anything at any time with anybody. Very few people have full access to me. Let me just put it that way. Very few people have full access to me. Not because I don't love people, but, but I'm also guarding my own peace. And I'll just give you a little help right here. Anybody that adds drama to my life is excluded from my life. If you can't control your emotions, if you can't control your life, doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I won't keep praying for you. But you won't have access to me or my family. I can tell you that. I don't. I'm so... I'm busy doing what God's called me to do. And I don't have time for my life to be in chaos because you can't get your life together. And I'm serious about that one. I'm serious about that one. If you are always in turmoil, if you're always in drama, if you're always in fights with people, if you've always got an issue, there's people that can't live unless they're in a turmoil with somebody. Did you hear what she said about me? I'm telling you, I'm about to give her a piece of my mind. Bye. Bye. I don't have time for that in my life. My peace is too important to sacrifice on the altar of emotional instability. Get a hold of your emotions as a Christian. Get a hold of your emotions. If you're a person that can't live without drama, can't live, you're not even interested in life unless something's going wrong. You've got a problem. You need to be delivered. Get control of your emotions. And I, I'm being very honest with you. Very few people have access, full access to me where I can just let them in at any time, talk to them at any time. I take their call at any time. Very few people. And I mean very few. I can probably count them on two hands. And that's it. That is it. Why? Because my life, my peace, my call, my purpose, too important, my family, too important to be destroyed by those that cannot keep control of their own emotions. You've got to learn how to release relationships that'll cause you to backslide. And there's many of them. There's many of them. If you don't know how to let go of relationships, the best way to do it is quickly. I know it hurts. People are like, I don't, I don't know. I've known that person for 10 years. Yeah, I understand. I get it. Doesn't mean you don't stop showing, but it does mean I'm not going the same places with you anymore. I don't go out on the weekends to the club anymore. I don't go to the bar after work on Friday anymore. I don't drink my paycheck away anymore. I don't get high with you anymore. I don't go do these things. I, I, it's done. My life is changed. If my life is changed, then my actions have to change. This is why Paul, let me read it to you. Writing to the Corinthian church is so adamant, so adamant. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord does Christ have with the devil? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? 
What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we're the temple of the living God. Paul taught that. Paul taught that. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It just destroys your life. You know why? Because you're both pulling in different directions. I'm pulling in the direction that wants to please the Lord. They're pulling in the direction that wants to please their flesh. It's a problem. It'll pull you right back into sin. Explain to me, how is it that the secular world understands this, but the church doesn't? If you're a recovering alcoholic, do you go hang out at bars? Do you hang out with people who drink? No. They tell you. They tell you how to do it. They tell you to be careful. Don't get in those trigger situations. I mean, think about that. I mean, think about that. You don't go back. If you're a recovering alcoholic, I've been sober for 90 days. Are you hanging out at bars? No. Am I hanging out with people that are drinking all the time? No. I'm guarding myself. If you just get out of rehab and you're a heroin addict, do you go back and start hanging around in houses where people are doing heroin? No. You don't do that stuff. Why? Because even the secular world understands that putting yourself in the wrong environment pulls you back into a life you don't want. God's people have to be just as wise, if not wiser. Wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Dorothy says, what if you're both believers but pulling in the opposite direction? If you're both believers, then you shouldn't be pulling in the opposite direction because the direction you're going is defined by the word of God. That's why I read to you, uh, or, or we, develop, we developed number two as we did. Make the word your standard. If you're being pulled in different directions, then you're not following the word of God. Now, if you're talking about Dorothy life direction, purpose direction, as far as what, where we should live, what we should do with our lives, where we should go, then you've got to get clarity from the leading of the Holy Spirit. Got to be led by the Spirit. And the husband is the head of the home. And if you're both Christians, the husband's the head of the wife too, the Bible says. The head of the wife. Not just the head of the home. The Bible says the head of the wife. He is the authority figure in the home. I don't run the church with Jesus. He runs the church, right? I'm the bride of Christ. He's the groom, I'm the bride. I don't run the church with him. He's the head of the church. Same thing. The husband is the head of the wife. I know that's not popular in this feminist society that we have today. Everybody wants to talk about the old white patriarchy that's trying to run everything. Let me tell you something. You think there's an old white patriarchy that determines what can and can't happen. How did we have a black president for the last eight years before this president? If, if everything's run by an old white patriarchy that only lets white people do stuff, old white men. How did we have a black man running this entire nation, the freest and most powerful nation in the world? It's run by a black man for eight years. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. And so the husband's the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. There it is. If 
you're in disagreement with your husband, you need to pray and ask the Lord, am I out of place? Is he hearing from you and I'm not following or submitting myself like I should be? But if it's in regards to sin, the word of God's your standard. Should be both going in the same direction according to the word of God. So that's number four. Number one, understand that the Bible is God's word inspired and inerrant. Number two, make it your standard. Number three, make prayer a daily appointment. Number four, release wrong relationships immediately, immediately. And then number five, and this is one that this is going to blow your mind. You may have never thought of this, how to never backslide. The fifth way to never backslide, invest in the kingdom of God to ensure money never dominates you. Let me give you some scripture on this. The Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is the love of money? Not money itself, the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you know tithing is not just a command, it's a test of your heart by God. It's a test of your heart by God. Are they willing to release finances? You know why? Because the Bible teaches where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know finances, you can fake everything else. Did you know that? You can fake everything else. You can fake your worship. You can fake church attendance. You're not really interested. You just come and punch your card anyway. You're not on fire for God. You can fake it all. You can come looking like the part and everything. You know what you can never fake? Your giving. You can't fake your giving. It is the true test of your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You cannot love God and money, the Bible says. Cannot love God and money. You're not, let me tell you something else. You don't value anything you're not invested in. Right? You don't value anything you're not invested in. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been that person that used to buy cheap sunglasses, $8 sunglasses, and you break them all the time, you lose them all the time, you're always back to buy another pair, oh, I lost those glasses, I gotta go get another pair, another $7 pair, never $5 pair, another $10 pair, you buy cheap sunglasses. Then you go and get an actual, you spend money on a pair of expensive sunglasses, $400 sunglasses, $300 sunglasses, you buy some Gucci, some Fendi, some Prada, Ray-Bans, whatever. You go buy an expensive pair of sunglasses. Let me just tell you, you treat those sunglasses differently. You keep them in a case. <laughs> if you don't know where they are, you don't say, oh, I'm just going to get another one. You look for them. Where'd those sunglasses go? Where'd those go? I just had them right here. Where's my sunglasses? Then you're searching through the house. Where's my, where's my sunglasses? You know why you're doing the extra searching? You know why you care to look? You know why you make sure they're in the case? You know why you clean those lenses? You're invested in those. You're invested in those. There's a difference between $7 sunglasses 
and $400 sunglasses. You're invested in those. You take care of them. You clean them. You make sure you've got them with you. You don't leave them behind. The reason you care, the reason your heart feels different is because there's a different investment going into those. You know, if somebody sits on your $7 sunglasses and smashes them, like, oh, no big deal. I'll go, I, I got to grab another. They're only seven bucks. Somebody sits on your $400 sunglasses and smashes them, you're ticked off. You know why? Because you're invested in those. You're invested in those. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. If you've got no skin in the game, if you're not invested in it, you don't care. It's proof you don't care. It's proof you don't care. Jesus dealt with a rich young ruler who had issues with money. He said, Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to inherit the kingdom of God. What do I need to do? He said, obey the law and the prophets. He said, hey, I've done that since I was a little boy. He said, yeah, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have, Matthew 19, and give the money to the poor. Now, here's the question. How many other people in the New Testament were required to sell all they have and give all their money to the poor? None. No other people that were converted had to sell everything they have and give the money to the poor. Even Peter didn't do that, the apostle of Christ. Jesus didn't ask Peter to do that. He still had his business, still had his boats, still had his house. Bible says he had a house that the disciples all could stay in and Peter and Jesus and the mother-in-law. Even the apostles of Jesus didn't have to sell all they have and follow him. They had stuff. So there was something up with this man's life. Jesus discerned he has an issue with money. And apparently he did because the Bible says, and he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. He could not. What's up, Niall? Love you, buddy. He could not follow Jesus because of the fact he had a love of money. And you can't love money and God, the Bible says. Your investment in the kingdom is your proof that you are connected. It's one of the ways to ensure you don't backslide. It's not the only way. It's one of the ways. It's one of the ways. Because, see, when you're invested in something, you take it seriously. You know what? I'll give you another example. It's hard to start talking against people, gossiping about people, backbiting people that you pray for an hour a day. If I speak, if I take an hour a day to pray for my pastor, then I'm invested in him. I'm invested in his well-being. I'm invested in his anointing. I'm invested in his purpose and his call. Nobody in their right mind is going to spend an hour praying for their pastor and then finish and then go spread rumors about their pastor and run him down and talk about him. Nobody in their right mind is going to pray for their pastor an hour a day and then spread rumors and gossip about him. You're invested in your pastor. You pray for him. You're spending time. So you know what that's going to keep you from doing? Disconnecting from his anointing. Disconnecting from his purpose. Disconnecting from his vision. Why? You're invested. You're invested. Your investment in the kingdom is proof of your connection. You know why I give largely into the kingdom of God? 
You know why I write $10,000 checks to put in the offering plate? $1,000 checks, $5,000 checks that I don't throw $10 in and say, hope God likes this. You know why? Because I'm invested in the kingdom. I take it seriously. I take it seriously. I value the kingdom of God. The reason I sow largely, the reason I write, I don't just do that for, 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 the, uh, for the church. I do that for men of God that I love and appreciate. Amen. I know a powerful man of God just this last week. Powerful man of God. Lord spoke to me to sow a seed into his life. I wrote him a check for $3,000. Put it in his hand. You know why? He's a powerful man of God and I love him. I don't just do it in the offering plate. I do it for the men of God. You know why? I'm invested in the kingdom. I'm invested in the call. I'm invested in the purpose. Amen. You will not value what you're not invested in. You just won't do it. That just shows you the ones that are sitting close to the back, that are like close to the door, that they can just get up and just dip out anytime they want. They're the same people that throw $5 in the offering plate. And understand, I'm using that as an example. If $5 is all you have in your bank account, it's a different story. But most people are wearing $150 tennis shoes and giving God $5 in the offering. <laughs> most people are going out and spending $50 at dinner at a restaurant with their you know, loved one or $100 with their family and throwing 10 bucks in an offering plate. You're not invested. Shows where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Can I tell you something? Do you know why I don't own a bass boat and expensive tackle and own all the fishing clothes? And you know, you know why I don't own all the, uh, you know, a, a very expensive tackle box and all the gear? And you know why I don't own all that? Because I don't value fishing. I'm not a fisherman. I don't care about fishing. I don't want to go fishing. That's why I don't have any of it. That's why I've not spent the money, thousands of dollars on the boat and the gear and the tackle and the trips to go do fishing around the world. You know why? I don't care. My heart is not connected to fishing, so I don't invest in it. See what I mean? If you love a sports team, you may love the Patriots. You may love, you know, whatever, whatever your team might be, football, baseball, soccer, whatever. People that really love them, they've got all the gear. They buy the jerseys. They have season tickets. They go to the games. They what? Why? They invest in it because they value it. Anything you value, you invest in. I want you to put it in the comments. Anything I value, I invest in. Put that in. Anything I value, I invest in. Thank you, Jesus. Anything I value, I want you to write that. Because see, here's the thing people never catch. If I'm totally connected to the kingdom, if I'm connected to the call, I'm not just going to throw away what I've connected to. I'm not going to do that. Let me ask you a question. If you pay $60,000 for a brand new SUV, are you just going to abandon it on the side of the road and say, you know, I don't really care about that car anymore. I'm just going to leave it, catch a cab home. Somebody, no, you're not going to abandon that investment. You're invested in it. 60 grand SUV. I'm throwing that to the side of the road. Anything I value, I invest in. I invest in. I see my friend, Pastor Jordan. I wanted to see him here. I enjoyed having him here. 
but I wanted to invest in him. I said, man, if you'll come, just come hang with us in Boston. It's going to be great. Let me buy your plane tickets. Let me hook you up. You know. Why? Love him. Love his family. I want to be the one to invest in him. I value him. Value him as a pastor. Value him as a friend. As a man. See, anything you invest in is what you value. And when people don't value the kingdom, it's easy for them to walk out on it. It's easy to walk out on it. You don't have any skin in the game. You're not valuing it. You don't have anything sewed into it. One of the ways that you know God's got your heart, break the hold money has on your life. Man, if people could catch this, they'd walk at a whole nother level. Whole nother level. Whole nother level. Number one, I'm gonna break these down. I'm gonna pray for you. Number one, Understand the Bible is God's word, inerrant and inspired. Number two, make it your standard. Number three, daily appointments of prayer. Must pray on a daily basis. Number four, release wrong relationships out of your life. Don't let them pull you back in. And number five, sow and invest into the kingdom of God. Something that takes faith to do. Something that's large to you. Large is a relative term. Something is large to different people. Different things are large to different people. A thousand dollars is not large to a multimillionaire. It's large to someone that's got (laughs) $1,400. You got to do something that takes faith. Something that moves you forward. It's an investment in the kingdom. That puts you in position to receive the goodness of God. I want you to bow your head. I'm going to pray for those of you that are watching because now's the time. If we were ever going to be on fire for God, now's the time to be on fire. If we were ever going to serve him with our whole hearts, now's the time to serve him. If we were ever going to be the people that were the remnant, that's why I call you the victory tribe. I know the people that are logging onto this broadcast aren't just, you know, barely getting by. You're hungry people. If there was ever time For a remnant to rise up, now's the time. Now's the time. So I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to pray that God keeps you. I'm going to pray that he protects you. I'm going to pray that he keeps you on fire. I'm going to pray that you get a hunger for the word like you've never had. A hunger for prayer like you've never had. I'm going to pray God gives you the boldness to break relationships that are trying to hold you in invisible prison. I'm going to pray that God gives you a heart of generosity. Bow your head wherever you're watching. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray for every man and woman watching and those listening on the podcast. I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a divine hunger for your holy and mighty word. In Jesus' name. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would give us a desire and a hunger to pray and seek your face like we've never had in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, today... Fill every one of us with supernatural boldness to break off from wrong relationships. Those that would hold us back into a life of sin set us free today. Let us have the boldness to break away and stand in a place of holiness for the rest of our lives. And finally, Lord, put a spirit of generosity into every one of us. Let us take large steps in the kingdom to see the gospel preached to see people saved and changed before it's too late 
Let us be pillars of generosity in the kingdom. We are large sowers, Lord. We're givers. We're givers. Lord, we ask you to do this for us. Before this year comes to an end, put the largest seeds in our hand that we've ever sowed. Largest seeds we've ever sowed. Jesus' mighty name. Let that be our story, Lord, this year. Largest seeds we've ever sowed in, into your kingdom, which will send the largest harvest we've ever had. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory. Those, those of you watching, those of you listening, the Lord's speaking to you as I've been teaching on that. I'm sure the Lord's speaking to you about what it means to sow largely today. And I want to encourage you to do that, to take a step of faith. Maybe you've never sown largely like I was talking about. It's time to do something, make a move for the kingdom of God that's serious. Maybe you've never stepped up and seriously, seriously made a move for the kingdom. Maybe you're a person that you said, man, I've never sown a thousand dollar seed in my life. Today's the day to step out by faith and invest in the kingdom. Maybe you said, man, I've never, I've never been a person that sowed 5,000, 10,000. There's got to come a day where you value the Lord enough to do something that's shakes your flesh. Maybe you've never stood with a ministry at a hundred dollars a month as a partner. Today, the Lord's speaking to those of you that are watching. He's speaking to you and giving you an instruction about what you're supposed to sow. I don't know what it is. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but he's speaking to you right now. And he's telling you what to do. And it is important to listen to his voice. He's got blessings to pour out on you. I preached last night, God rewards his people for their righteousness and their obedience. God has rewards set aside for you. And so I want to encourage you today, right now, make a move. Make a move for the kingdom. Sow a seed. It's easy to do. The information's on the screen. You can go to miracleword.com and you can click on the give tab. Right there, you'll see all the methods that you can use to sow. You can use our form on the website if you're giving by credit card. You can use Cash App if you have that. You can use PayPal if you have that. You can use Venmo if you have that. Our username for Cash App and Venmo is at MWGive. For Cash App, it's uh, dollar sign MWGive. And then, of course, PayPal. The information's on the screen. And then if you're in Facebook, if you're on Periscope or Twitter, you can put hashtag donate right in the comments section and you can give right in the comments without ever leaving the broadcast. But let me encourage you to make a move for the kingdom. Do something that takes faith to accomplish. I'm believing right now. Because let me tell you something. When our New Year's Eve service comes, I'm going to drop the largest seed into the kingdom that I've ever given in my life. Every year. Love you, Roberto. Every year, we do the same thing. We give the largest seed that we've ever given into the kingdom. Every year, it's our prayer. God, let me sow the largest seeds that we've, that we've ever sown this year. Not just total, but even one-time gifts. Let them be the largest that we've ever done. And our New Year's Eve service is coming. We're gonna sow the largest seed that we've ever sown into the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing. Amen, Jackie. 
I want, my, I want to give my testimony quickly. I had a nodule on my thyroid and stood in faith. God would remove it. I just got a test and the nodule is no longer there. Thank you, Jesus, for healing Jackie Blake. Thank you, Lord. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you. To those of you that are sewing, we love you. We're going to send you Lester Summerall's book, Adventuring with Christ, this month. It's our gift to you. You'll love it. One of the most faith-building books I've ever read. Man was insane. He went around the world with no money in his pockets. <laughs> went and met Howard Carter overseas, traveled the world. I think it was 22 different types of transportation, from elephants to camels to planes to boats to cars to bicycles. I mean, the, everything. As they traveled the world, met Smith Wigglesworth, sat under him. Howard Carter sat under him, became an apostle to the nations. Supernatural story. And those of you, of course, we're giving you the New Living Translation Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible and further faster, the hardcover limited edition for those sewing $1,000 or more. Thank you. Thanks for standing with us. We're getting ready. I'm today, by the way, today at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm speaking through the television network in Pakistan, and we're going to be speaking to nations all over the world. Look at this, 2 p.m. USA time. And it's going into the whole world, over 150, 180 nations of the world. And I'm joining uh, Pastor Ronnie Harrison, who used to be Pastor Rod Parsley's praise and worship leader, and uh, Pastor Ken Alban. And we're going to be joining uh, Pastor John A.D. and Pastor Rachel John in Pakistan. I'm going to be preaching the gospel today, calling people to Jesus, praying for the sick. We're reaching the world today digitally. And then every week we're going to be going around the world preaching the gospel with Miracle Word Television. I'm just telling you, it's amazing what God's opening up. And you're a part of that. Part of what you're doing is you sow. You're not just helping us feed hundreds of kids around the world every day, but now pushing the gospel out into the nations of the world. You're a major part and we say thank you. We love you. Tonight we're coming back 7 p.m. Power God's moving right here at Fitchburg, Massachusetts, Crossroads Community Church. If you can get here, get here. If not, we'll be live, Facebook, YouTube, Periscope. And you need to jump on and be a part of these services. God's moving. We so appreciate you. Thanks for hanging with me today. I love you very much. And again, I'll talk to you tonight at 7. Be back again tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. with my wife, the beautiful and wonderful Carolyn Elizabeth Shuttlesworth. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.